We are going to continue in our series in Hebrews. If you guys want to open up with me to Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're at tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first six, 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 that's a new, that's a new number. Uh, First six verses of Hebrews 3 tonight. And as you guys open there, Hebrews 3 verses 1 to 6. Let me tell you, I like to, how many of you guys like to rock climb? Any Floridians? What? Flatlanders? You guys know how to rock climb? Okay, sweet. There's a lot of you out there. Now, I'm not just talking about like climbing walls, like where you go to like an indoor thing, but like legitly go somewhere where there is like nature and trees and like a cliff that you can climb. Anybody? Okay, there's a lot fewer of you, but I still respect the other ones too. So I was big into rock climbing when I was much younger and much skinnier. Um, I was like 16-ish around that time in high school. Um, my brother was a big rock climber. And he was like legitly like one of those like bodybuilder type guys and like loved rock climbing and was in like this club that they would all go out and do all these crazy things. So one day he was like, hey, you want to go with me? And that like got this like love for rock climbing into me at the time. So I looked up to my big brother and I was like, yes, for sure. I want to go. And we started going. We go on the weekends and this whole deal. But um, one thing we learned, him and I would climb together. And if you don't know anything about rock climbing, one person stays at the bottom. They call that person the bole. It's a very fancy word, right? And basically what that means is you're in charge of the rope and it goes to this little carabiner thing that you have and the weight of your body and the way that you use that rope, it goes up to the other person. So if they fall, right, you're going to hold them and the weight of your body on that rope will keep them from going and splatting on the ground. So there's a lot of pressure on you, right? You got to be paying attention. You got to do what you're supposed to do or the other person might splat, right? So you're up, you're down here and you're, you're being the belay and the other person's climbing. And you'd switch. When you're done, you guys switch. So it's important to have partners that are kind of similar weights. Well, at the time, I weighed like a buck 40, like, and my brother was like 250. He was like this big, like he was working out in the gym. And uh, we didn't even pay any attention to it. We're climbing. I go, I do my thing. He's like yelling stuff up to me, like, grab that rock, look cool, pose for the camera. And I'm doing all this stuff, right? I'm done, so we switch. Now it's my turn to go on Bolet. So I do, and he's not worried because he never falls. He's like a really good rock climber. And he's going up. He's about, it was a 200-foot cliff. He's probably up about 150 feet, okay? So he's up, and there's this overhang, like, you know, the ones they always put in the movies that look real cool. So you have to, like, reach way out and swing around it, and it's like this big, crazy stunt move that he has to do. And so as he does it, he slips, and he falls, and it shouldn't be a big deal, right? Because I'm down, I'm belaying him. All I have to do is pull back tight on that rope, and he swings a little bit, and then gets his footing and goes, keeps going. But because he's almost double my weight, when he falls, what happens is I just start going up in the air. And it literally just lifts me up, and we look like this, like, like this pendulum. And he starts going down, and I start going up, and we see eye to eye as he's falling. And we're getting closer to each other going, is he just going to splat? Like, what's going to happen here, right? I have this, like, fear. Like, I am just soaring up into the air. And he's coming down. And eventually we reach this, like, this, this balance. But here's the thing. I'm holding myself from falling by this, holding under this rope. And we're both just, like, way up in the air, just swinging. With no, we're no, we have, like, nowhere to go. And so we just start yelling, like, help, because you know, there's other, like, climbers around, and we don't know what to do. Like, this had never happened before. We hadn't prepared. He never told me I was going to flying up in the air. My brother's smart. He does some stuff. He climbs and gets me down. It's, it works out. We don't die because, look, hey, I'm here, right? So that's good. But there was a moment where I thought as our eyes were making contact as he's coming down and I'm going up, and we're both going, ah! right? Like one of those that I think, and I hear the voice, my own voice in my head. 
And it's like, you idiot, why did you ever trust me? You know, like, it's like one of those, like, man, you trusted me to do this and I let you down. I kind of felt like a failure for a minute. And I realized in that moment, it's really, really important to know who or what you're putting your trust in, right? We blindly went out there. We thought this was going to be a good thing. He literally put his life in my hands and it could have ended up a lot worse. Like we were actually really lucky that it didn't. And it's really important to know what you're placing your trust in. And as we're walking through Hebrews, I think that's kind of this, the voice of this next passage we're going we're gonna to look at. The message that he's yelling out here is like, it's so important to know what you're placing your trust in. Make sure that what you're trusting to save you, what you're trusting your whole life, your eternity on, is actually going to do its job when it comes time to do its job. And so, read with me. We're in Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Here's what the author says. He says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we're his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So people at the time, like we just talked about a week or two ago, angels. And we talked about how Jesus, right? The theme of the book is that Jesus is better than everything and everyone, even better than angels. And we heard that the people at the time were, started to look at angels and, and worship them, be like, they're really powerful, they're really strong, they can fly, whatever. Like, these angels are incredible. And so they start thinking, wow, they kind of, we should worship these angels. And angels started to become too important in the hearts of these people. They started to worship angels instead of worshiping God and worshiping Jesus as their Savior. And so the author was like, hey, Jesus is better than angels. And we spent a couple weeks talking about that. But there was also another thing going on among these people. They had a lot going on. Not only were they worshiping angels, they had started to look back at their ancestors, these really incredible dudes, Abraham, Moses, these guys who were the founders of their people group, the founders of their faith, literally. God went to Abraham and was like, hey, bro, uh, come on out of that idol worshiping place. I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm starting it with you. You and your wife are going to just basically give birth to the whole nation of my people and Jesus. The Savior's coming from you. Like Mo- Abraham was a big deal, right? Moses was a big deal. He says, hey, Moses, my people are in slavery in Egypt. I want you to go free them. And so Moses literally helps them escape from Egypt and sets up the people of God again. Like he's a big deal. He did some unbelievable things, these huge miracles. And so people looked back at what God did through Moses, splitting an ocean in half. That's crazy. What must they have thought when they saw those waters peel back and Moses standing there? And so after seeing all these things that God did through Moses that were so powerful, here we go down the road and people are looking back at those things going, maybe we should 
worship Moses too. And that's exactly what they started to do. Our ancestors were these powerful people who did powerful things and miracles. And so they started to worship guys like Moses instead of God, instead of Jesus, who's better than everyone and everything. And so this part of Hebrews is written to those people. And he's correcting them saying, hey, listen, just like you shouldn't worship angels, you shouldn't be worshiping Moses or the ancestors either because Jesus is better than everything. And so when he starts off in verse one, he says the word therefore. What he's doing is he's linking that back to chapters one and two and reminding us because Jesus is so much better. Remember how awesome he is? We just talked about what a perfect savior he is. And all these amazing ways, he said, because of that, because Jesus is that incredible, and then he says what he's about to tell us. And as he does, listen to what he says. He calls, us, he calls these people holy brothers and sisters. If you just said brothers and sisters, he could have just been talking to the, to the Jews, but he's specifically talking to believers, people that know who Jesus is, right? Like these people should know better. These people are considered church people, right? Or what we would call them today. And so as he's referring to these people, it's like, you know better. You've heard the truth. You know who Jesus is. And so I have a big message for you. And he says, he narrows it down even more. He says, who share in the heavenly calling. He's not just talking to people that don't know better. He's talking to people who literally have at some point looked at Jesus and said, like, this guy's legit. But something's happened along the way. And so here's his advice. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. What happened to you? How did your mind shift? How did your heart shift? How have you lost track of the one thing that can save you? The one who's better than everyone and everything. Your mind has shifted. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know what's really sad is that even today in churches, there are people who have gone to church a long time. And over that long time, they've kind of gotten used to Jesus. They've gotten used to pastors coming up on a stage like I do, and every week saying, Jesus is awesome. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. And they're like, we know. We've heard it 6,000 times. You say it every week. And they've kind of just gotten old, like bored of hearing the same message. And their hearts have kind of drifted. And their hearts and eyes have fixed on other things. And you and I can fall into the exact same trap. We can get used to Christianity, used to church, used to hearing the gospel, used to calling ourselves Christian. And then all of a sudden, it takes a lot more to entertain us. And we're into other things and trusting in other things and more entertained by other things that Jesus becomes a secondary thing that's almost boring. And so for our hearts to jump up and come alive and be like, Jesus Christ is the son of God who's greater and better than everything who died on a cross for you and me and rose again to life three days later and now the tomb's empty because he's a perfect savior and he loves us and did it for you and me. That should make your heart leap inside your chest. Not sit there bored out of your mind that you're hearing it again. We should be people that say, say it again. 
Tell me again what Jesus did. Tell me again what I have to look for, eternity with Christ in heaven. It should set you on fire, knowing what Jesus has done. And so as he looks at these people who have sought other things to entertain themselves as they've become bored of hearing the same story over and over, he reminds them, fix your eyes back on Jesus. He's the only one who could do what you're looking for. I got a friend of mine, his name is Ricky. He's a pastor up in Providence, Rhode Island. And they get snow up there in New England for you Floridians who don't know that, right? And so I'm from Massachusetts originally. And so I like to go up and visit Ricky. And when I go up there, I go in the, the dead winter, like when there's best chances for snow is when I want to visit him. And so I go up there and his family will pick me up at the airport and I'll be praying the whole time on the plane, please, Jesus. I'll be fasting, you know, it's, oh, the whole day I was like, I want snow, give me snow, Jesus, I want snow. And whenever I get off the plane and it's cold and there's snow, I am so happy. I'm like, immediately when I get in the car, I'm like, listen, take me to the nearest hill. We're rolling down it. <laughs> it's like one of those. And everyone in the car looks at me like, you've got to be kidding. We hate snow. We're sick of the cold. I'm tired of shoveling. I don't want to scrape my windows anymore. They're like tired of the cold because they live there and it drives them crazy. And I'm like a little kid in a candy store, like, woohoo, let's go. Like, I want to go be in snow right now. I've been in Florida sweating, right? And the AC is out in my truck and it's hot and I hate it. <laughs> then he comes down to visit me. And when I pick him up, guess what? Take me right to the beach, bro. We're going to the beach. I'm like, it's 102. I'm not going to the beach. So usually I'll just like drive up to like Cocoa Beach and kick him out of the car and drive home. Be like, call me when you're done, when you've had enough sun. Like, I don't want to see it. I live here. I go to the beach all the time. I get the heat all the time in the sun. But the longer we're each in our own place, right, the, the more it becomes common to you. People who live by the beach are always like, man, I don't use the beach enough. I wonder why. Well, because we're here, right? People in the snow say the same thing. You become just used to your environment. And when you're at church all the time, and some of you guys at a Christian school all the time, and some of you guys have a Christian family, have all these like environments that we live in where we hear Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sometimes we don't realize how lucky we are to always hear Jesus, 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 Jesus. We get used to it. We get bored of it. We stop being excited and we look to other things to entertain us. But there's one thing that's greater and better than everything that should never bore us. And it's Jesus. Has an eternity at the side of the God of the universe who will spend forever blowing your mind with, with these incredible things that he can do with his glory that you will never be able to understand even though you spend eternity trying to. It is this ongoing amazement being at the foot of your unbelievably incredible God. We're way too small to think we could ever get tired or bored of an infinite creator. Don't get used to him. Wake up in the mornings and go, Jesus, I can't wait to see what you're going to show me today. I can't wait to watch you show off today. I can't wait to feel your love today. I can't wait to do things to serve you and watch you show up and help me do things I could never do on my own. Jesus, this is going to be an incredible day because you're in it. 
fix your thoughts on Jesus. And he calls him, he says, apostle and high priest. Jesus started his church. It's all on him as the cornerstone. He is the great church planner or apostle. And he is the high priest, which we already talked about. He's that bridge between us and God. He's incredible. And then he says this in verse two, read this with me. He says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Jesus did what, what the Godhead, right? The father and the son and the spirit came together and decided. Jesus says, the son says, I'll do it. And he was faithful to come to earth. He was faithful to take on flesh and to die for us on a cross. He was faithful to rise again and give you new life. Jesus did what was appointed to him so that on the cross he could look up at a father and say, it's finished. It's finished. I did it. I was faithful. Here I am, God. It is finished. And then he says this. He says, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, he's starting to compare them, right? And we're going to see that the comparison isn't even there. There's no way to compare the two because Jesus is so much better. But he turns to Moses and he says, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. He's not undermining the fact that Moses was awesome. He was. God used Moses to do unbelievable things to lead God's people. He performed miracles in Egypt. He got the people of Israel free from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He defeated the Egyptian army. He heard God's audible voice and talked to him in these meetings he would have with God. He saw God's glory and would like glow, right? He received the tablets of the law. He set up the Jewish sacrificial system and priesthood. He led the Jews to the promised land. Jesus, I mean, Moses did all these incredible things, right? He's not denying that. He could see why people would look back and go, Moses is unbelievable, but what I see here in this is that what an honor for Moses. What, what if, just imagine with me for a second, how awesome would it be if you were named this way? If in the Bible it said, just as Jesus was faithful, so was, and then insert your name. What if I opened up to Hebrews chapter 6, 1, let's just say, we, we stick a verse there, and what it said was, just as Jesus was faithful, so was you, right? Your name there. How incredible would that be that God would recognize that? To be able to say, I was just as faithful. And that's what's said about Moses. Like, that's an honor. I hope one day that I get to the gates of heaven, and Jesus looks at me, he's like, you were faithful. You didn't put your own desires ahead of what I asked you to do. You didn't put your education or your bank account or the vehicle you drive or the size of your house. You didn't, you didn't put anything in front of me. You were faithful. Could Jesus say that to you if you were standing there right now, face to face with Jesus at those big pearly gates, and he looked at you? Could he say that? You're faithful. You're a good servant. Keep living for me. That's why this author says, keep your thoughts fixed on Jesus. That's who we're striving to imitate and to be like. But just as great as Moses was, listen to what he says next. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. <laughs> he was a great dude. But Jesus is so much better. 
And then he says this. We must be careful, right? But listen, just stop for one second and think before I say this next thing. What are the things you're placing in your life as better than Jesus? I'm not saying that you are like intentionally doing it, but maybe there are things that you unintentionally, you might not even realize it until you start to think about it, that your placing is better than Jesus. That might not be angels or Moses. But what is it in your life where you're like, man, I have honored this thing for far too long, more than I have been honoring Jesus? If it came down to it and the things Jesus was asking me to be faithful to and to do, I push those things aside for whatever this is over here. And you have to fill this blank in. I can't do that for you. But I bet you can. I bet things are coming to your mind and your heart right now. I bet right now you're thinking of the things that you would put in this blank, that you'd say, this is taking importance over Jesus in my life. How many times do I push aside reading the Bible or praying or just spending time with Jesus because this thing over here consumed my time and my schedule and my heart? How many times have I looked at Jesus and said, no, I can't do that right now? I know you're calling me to do this thing or talk to this person or love or hug that person, but I just can't right now because this thing is in the way, Jesus. That's where these people people find themselves. <laughs> there are things taking over that place in their heart. And here's what we learned from this. We need to be careful not to worship things we shouldn't worship. And, and in this case, they're worshiping a leader. We need to be careful not to worship our leaders, like they were worshiping Moses. There is no pastor, no leader, no person in your life that should have the, this, this little soapbox in your life that they're standing on that you're looking up to thinking, man, they're just, they're it. There are too many churches today that have these celebrity pastors that they essentially worship and like this is the greatest dude in the world and they care more about their pastor than they do about Jesus. They care more about their worship team and the songs and the style of music that they sing than they do about Jesus. They care too much about the way their stage looks or how comfortable their building is or what kind of groups that they have than they do Jesus. (laughs) What would happen if our thoughts were just fixed on Jesus and the rest of that stuff was all secondary? We just wanted to come to a place like this and be like, Jesus, we're here, meet us. Come in the room with us. Fill your presence in this room so we can experience you right now as we sing. It's not just about the music and the songs. It's about you being here with us. What if your heart was so fixed on Jesus that that was your worship experience? We need to be careful not to want others to worship Flip that whole thing upside down. How often do we want the glory? How often do we want that pat on the back or that recognition? 
Do we want people to say, what a great job they did? Man, that person's so talented. That person's so godly. That person can sing so well. You name the thing, right? What's your thing? You wish other people would essentially worship you. We need to be careful not to be those people, but have our hearts and minds fixed on Jesus. And some of us could even learn a lesson just from the way this author is talking to these people tonight. And he doesn't just go to them and say, hey, listen, you're worshiping Moses, knock it off, you're a bunch of dummies. He could have done that, he'd be right. But he doesn't. His words are so full of love and wisdom as he brings this correction to these people. And instead of saying, hey, you guys are dumb for worshiping Moses, it's wrong, stop it. What he does is he says, listen, Jesus is so much better than the thing you're doing. What if we approached our conflicts that way? Instead of just getting in people's faces ready to fight, we say, hey, it's not about our disagreement. It's about him. It's about Jesus. Why don't you turn your eyes and your hearts to Jesus because it's so much better than the sin that you're in right now or the thing you're choosing instead. But like, check out Jesus. What if that's how we approach people? Instead of just looking for a battle. There's so much he has to tell us in this passage. I wish we had a lot longer to sit here and just go through it. We're going to keep moving. The next phrase is, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, God is the builder of everything. So what he's saying is he's comparing Moses as part of this house that God's building. Jesus is literally the builder. And what gets the credit for this beautiful house being built? Not that the building. It didn't build itself, right? There was someone, the architect, the engineer, the designer that came along, and he built it, and that's Jesus. You can't even compare. It's apples and oranges, Jesus and everything else. But here's the beautiful part. He doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says next. He says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. He's not denying that. Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So he played this really important role to tell people, here's what God says, right? But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Jesus is literally God's son that's come down and he's building us into a house, into a body where God dwells. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit literally dwells. He lives inside of you. We together are his house, his temple. We are his house. That's the next phrase. Do you realize how awesome that is? You're not just a bunch of little lemmings running around going, oh God, there's a God up there, like, and we have no idea how to get to him or what he's about or what he loves. We have no idea how to have a relationship with him. So we start to like put rocks up into a stack and kill animals and do all these weird things just trying to get his attention. Man's done that for thousands of years. Our God, the true God says, I want to have a relationship with you. I love you enough not to stay distant, but I'm coming to earth, so get ready. And he comes down to earth, and he shares his love as he touches people and heals them and feeds the hungry, raises the dead to life. And while he's here, he's telling us the whole time how we can know him and have a relationship with him. He's not just looking for followers. He's not just looking for religious fanatics. He's building a family. 
And he's calling you to be a part of his family. As he builds this house out of you and me. He says, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, if you know Jesus, you can be part of that family. If your hope and your confidence is in the saving work of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life, if you don't have that, listen, if you're not trusting Jesus to save you and forgive you, it hurts my heart to tell you, you are not part of that family. But God wants you to be. God invites you even tonight to be a part of that family. He says, that's why I sent Jesus literally to die for you. So I could look at you and call you my child. And you would look back and I would know that your eyes and thoughts and hearts are fixed. On Jesus, because Jesus is better than everything. It's so sad that we could be so close to that truth and still miss it. I was on a mission trip to Italy, and as we were going, we're going into these big open plazas where lots of people were just kind of hanging out. And I would go in, and, and uh, they would tag team me in and be like, "Hey, listen, you're going to go in and you're going to preach." Right? You're the pastor on the trip, so I immediately got to preach the gospel. And so they put me up on this, this little area where it was kind of raised in the middle of this big open plaza, and they said, all right, start preaching the gospel. And so I'd preach the gospel. I'd preach in English. They would translate for me into Italian. And as I'm preaching, I'd start off, and they wouldn't know what I was talking about. So they would gather around. They were, that culture just loved, ooh, what's going to happen now? There's a show. There's something cool happening so people would just come in droves all around me. And the second, literally the first time I say the word God, people start to get upset. And when I say upset, I mean really upset. They would yell at me. They'd swear at me. Some people spit at me as I was talking, as I was sharing this gospel. And eventually they would just turn around and walk away, and I'd be left there alone just preaching to nobody. It was insane. So the next time we went out, I decided I'm going to walk around the plaza and just talk to people. And as I talked to them and asked them about themselves and we'd be in a conversation, I'd find out that they call themselves Catholics, that they go to church once in a while. And they would kind of be, they would consider themselves churchgoers, God followers. Then I'd get back up on the thing and I'd start to preach in the second I did all those people I just talked to would come around. That guy we just talked to is going to do something cool, and they'd come to see, and I'd say, God. And those same people began to get upset and curse and spit and walk away. Blew my mind. You just got finished telling me you go to church. You just got finished telling me you're a God follower. But when I talk about that God, when I share this gospel, this good news he's given me, you literally spit at me, swear, and walk away. Here's people who have been around it so long. Just got old to them. They got bitter toward it. 
Something got lost in the mix where their eyes came off the true Jesus who's better than everything and got lost in a lie. Heaven forbid any of us become those people. Come to Firehouse every week and you walk out of here and live like the world. That your heart would be ignited with the fire of Jesus. You come to this place and say, Jesus really is better than everything. And when I leave here, I'm bringing a fire to the world. I want them to know Jesus is awesome. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you a simple question tonight. As the band plays this next song, I'll just ask you to think about this and pray this. Where are you putting your faith? Where are you placing your trust in your life? And don't immediately just say, oh, it's obviously in Jesus. It's obviously in God. But would you just be honest? It's just you in your own head right now. Would you really think about it and say, what things am I placing more faith in than I am in Jesus? What things do I prioritize over Jesus? What things consume my life more than Jesus does? And maybe even right now as we sing this song, you would just pray and say, God, will you show me the parts of me that are looking for something else? Would you call my attention back to Jesus?